0: Companies that have really good risk management practices also tend to have very good operational
1: excellence practices, Mm -hmm. and they tend to be more proactive. Welcome back to Bots and Thoughts, the hyper automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. I'm your host, Jimmy Hewitt, aka Mr. Automation. Hello and welcome to another special guest episode of Bots and Thoughts, the Hyper Automation Podcast, sponsored by Salient Process. During the recent OpEx conference in Orlando, I had a chance to sit down with a business leader who has spent his career in the consumer lending space, specifically responsible for managing risks and controls. As you know, consumer lending is a highly regulated space and therefore, the stakes could not be higher with regards to managing risks and controls. In addition to this, the sheer volume alone at Wells Fargo requires the sophisticated application of automation into managing risks and controls at scale. Listen in as Ram Nidu, head of control evaluation for consumer lending at Wells Fargo, tells his story talks you through his methods, and lends you his perspective on applying automation for risks and controlled management for one of the largest banks in the world. Also, please note that the views and opinions expressed here within are those of Ram's himself and do not necessarily reflect those of Wells Fargo. Thank you and enjoy the show. Well,
2: thanks again for being on our show, Ram. You're welcome. Really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, same here. Um, why don't we get started with a little bit of about you? Why don't you tell us who you are and what got you into this space? Yeah, sure. Happy to. So I started my career in manufacturing a long mm-hmm. time
0: ago, uh, spent a few years in manufacturing, spent a few years in transportation and logistics, um, and learned quite a bit of how things work in that space. Uh, shortly thereafter, I joined financial services. And this was over 20 years ago, uh, and pretty much I've been in financial services since then. Uh, over those 20 plus years, I have spent time in risk uh, across all three lines, uh, internal audit, corporate risk, as well as the business. Uh, and I've also spent time running operations, uh, so really large global operations. So I've had an opportunity to sit in the driver's seat, so to speak. Uh, and also been a financial controller. So I've seen Hmm. uh, everything transactions flow into the balance sheet and income statement and into the financials. Uh, So it gives me a unique perspective, right? Because I've run the business, I've actually seen what the impact is to financials. And then from a risk standpoint, you're always looking at things from a customer lens as well as a regulatory lens. Um, so, So generally speaking, when we think of problems or issues, you're always thinking ahead of how will this impact how the company, um, essentially processes work. How, Mm -hmm. how does this impact customers? How does this impact all of our stakeholders? Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, um, if you're a highly regulated company like banks are, uh, how does this, you know, sit with folks that actually watch us. Right. Um, so you have that component, but then the other component, and this is where I think risk and OPEX are very tied Mm -hmm. is if you're really, really good at operational excellence, your risk management is usually proactive, right? Mm So I almost think of it, you know, from a reactive to proactive scale. If you're in a situation where, for example, when the financial crisis happened and everyone's scrambling to figure out how to tighten up their credit book or tighten up their operational policies, you're usually more on the reactive spectrum. Companies that have really good risk management practices also tend to have very good operational excellence practices Mm -hmm. and they tend to be more proactive. Right. So the processes, the, uh, the way you detect risk, for example, with KPIs and KRIs, they're more proactive in nature versus you finding out about an issue through a customer, uh, issue or potentially a process breakage.
2: Um, So the idea is through operational excellence process, modeling KPI setting within those processes that are modeled and uh, getting smart with your risks controls, you can detect what the early indicators of a future risk might be before that risk happens internally or externally. That's right. That's That's exactly right. You can manifest, you
0: can, you can almost see it manifest if you have the right tools. And the problem is, you know, organizations are dynamic, right? Nothing's stable, as you know. Uh, People, companies, everything changes. So the struggle that a lot of organizations have is you might get mature at a particular point in time with a specific risk, but then as the landscape changes, for example, climate change is a big topic right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So is corporate responsibility, ESG, right? Mm -hmm. So as the environment changes and as the landscape changes, the risks are also changing and what you have to manage also changes. But if you have these proactive measures in place and you have really strong operational excellence, I believe that you can generally deal with things much faster than a company that isn't prepared. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I would even go on to say that if you really mature, you'd actually
2: go from proactive to being creative, mm-hmm. right? Because you know yes. you can innovate. Yeah. That's where new business models are formed. That's right. Partnerships are created. That's where disruption happens. That's exactly right. So it's step one, two, three reactive. Don't want to be there. Uh, the roof has fallen in on your, on your home. That's right proactive, you're looking for things like that bubble that happens in your ceiling of the drywall that's before right. your roof falls in. That's right. Versus disruptive, which is you've installed a new solar roof. That solar worked, roof that's you know, leak free. Uh, skylights. And you don't and, yeah, have to worry about even. You can see monitoring. the
0: Milky Way at night. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> how, yeah.
2: how disruptive. That's okay. Right. Excellent. And how about controls? You lead controls for consumer lending at Wells Fargo. How does controls intersect with operational excellence, KPI setting? Um, yeah. What's your, how how does controls intersect with this space?
0: Yeah. So, so to be clear, I, I, we evaluate controls, right? So part of the process that we've set up at Wells Fargo is we have process maps that basically define what the risks and controls are and then we go in to evaluate whether the controls are actually working uh, so mm-hmm. part of the team's responsibility is to identify process gaps as we evaluate those controls and provide that feedback back to the business mm. so that they can then implement changes. Um, so it's 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 basically a testing function um, but we ultimately the goal is to identify risks before they
2: manifest, with a customer impact or process impact. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. What's an example? I'd love if you could talk us through an example of either a very common control or maybe a really uncommon control, whichever one comes to mind. How do you identify it? Is it the government that tells you you must control this? Is it an internal thing? Is it a, a common sense control? How is it identified? How do you put that control in place? And then how is it, uh, monitor. Yeah, I'll give you a really simple example, right? So let's say
0: you have a business where you have to send customer statements. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just say you have bank accounts and you're sending customers bank statements. Monthly statements. Monthly statements. That's a really simple example. Yeah, right? everyone gets those. That's right. And, and you hope everyone <laughs> yeah. gets those, right? Oh, yeah, sure. So so that's where you'd want to control to make sure that, you know, everyone that's elected to receive one actually does. Now in some cases you can opt out or you can basically reroute to different addresses, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So there's different exclusions, but generally speaking, you need some sort of reconciliation to make sure that if you have a million customers and let's say, you know, 900,000 of those million are eligible to receive a statement. Those 900,000 people are receiving one. All uh, of them. That's right. That's right. Because there may be some reasons why perhaps there's a zero balance account That doesn't generate a statement, right? Mm. So that might be part of the exclusionary population. Um, So you want to basically make sure that the right people are excluded. The folks that are included in the population that should be receiving a statement actually get one um, and we're caring for it, mailing for it. You know, if we have a mail vendor that's sending these out, that the print vendor and the mail vendor are executing per our requirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of handoffs. Yeah. And anytime you have handoffs, it creates process risk, as you know.
2: Wow. Yeah. I never thought about what goes into getting those those Wells Fargo statements that I get every month. It's a process. It's It's things that happen inside your four walls, outside your four walls with your partners and vendors, your print, your post, um, I didn't appreciate. Yeah, and, and I'm right. simplifying it, right? So there's I a lot I can imagine.
0: <laughs> so how yeah.
2: you, you, even me just talking through this, I didn't realize that there were print and post involved. I mean, obviously, um, but how do you go about identifying all the different risks and then mapping them to controls Um, It's something that I assumed just happens on time, every time. Well, it's just like what
0: you said earlier, right? We we literally process map everything out. You want to identify your stakeholders, your customers, your handoffs, your dependencies, and then basically identify where your risks are, Mm -hmm. and then ultimately decide whether you have controls in position or if there are gaps where you need to design controls so that you can actually then... Uh, monitor those controls a key component of this is one ensuring you have controls and then when you do have controls you want to make sure you're monitoring them
2: yes periodically is it easier to monitor some controls than others what are some easy controls to monitor what are some difficult controls to monitor absolutely
0: generally speaking when you have automated controls uh, a good example would be maybe a system report is run that says i printed Eight hundred thousand statements and you get some sort of a edit file or check edit file that's an easy control to monitor because mm-hmm. you can you know literally just check your email or something every it's day very
2: systematized.
0: that's right it's mm-hmm. very automated mm-hmm. and then there are other controls that are highly manual right and an example of that would be um did we for example um calculate the right interest rate charges i'll just give you that as a very simple Ooh, example right? sure now complexity that's a lot of complexity because now you gotta look at transactions. You gotta look at, you know, reversals, for example, if there was a refund, you know, mm-hmm. like, for example, I, I use Amazon prime quite a bit mm-hmm. and in any given month, there's probably, you know, so many transactions that are purchases and then so many transactions that, you know, potentially are refunds sure. or credits. So reconciling all that, mm-hmm. imagine if you are the issuer of that card of the credit card, you're sitting there making sure that all of those um, you know, debits and credits tie out. And then ultimately, uh, if there is interest charges to be calculated, it's on the right amount. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's pretty complex. And then you wanna make sure if someone isn't paying, you're aging the account appropriately. Um, so some of those calculations get more complex and mm-hmm. most of them are automated these days in most companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in some cases you still end up having to pick a sample and manually review a sample, um, and manually reperform mm-hmm. certain calculations and certain reviews. And, and that's where manual controls generally are less preferred than mm-hmm. automated controls. Sure, That would be a, a risk in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately the truth of the matter is because automation, uh, at least when I say automation, things like RPA, you know, is still kind of in infancy, an infancy, and AI, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We're still in the early stages of leveraging those technologies in, in the control space. Mm-hmm. I think you're seeing it in certain spaces, like maybe call centers, where you can do analytics on words that were used um, across the industry. Mm-hmm. However, in general process type of situations, um, we still have a lot of opportunity to automate data
2: mine, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, across the industry. Sure, and the technology's gotten really good with things like process mining, as an example. Yeah. Um, let's say you get the system log data from whatever system you're using to calculate your interest, uh, roll over your balances. I'm sure that's one, maybe many systems. Not only can you extract the process map um but you can also find the business rules that go into why a process went this way versus that way absolutely um i can see that being um, a key to the next phase of automated risk and control sure, management sure, sure. There's, there's a lot of
0: opportunity uh leveraging data and automation and i think many uh smaller companies that are all digital mm-hmm. in, in some ways have an advantage yeah because you're starting Mm -hmm. with the cloud, you're starting legacy. That's right. Mm -hmm. When you have large legacy organizations and systems and platforms, it's it's obviously a transformation journey.
2: I heard an interesting take on that. So yes, agreed that these cloud native companies have no technical debt. They are all, they've always been integrated. They've always been automated to a certain degree. However, the legacy industry titans like Wells Fargo, as an example, or Ford, or pick your you know, legacy industry titan, sure, has even more of an advantage once they crack that digital transformation code because of how much data they're sitting on. Absolutely. These five-year-old yeah. cloud native banks don't have 100 years of customer data yeah. if massage properly translates to customer insights. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you have scale. Right, so oh, yeah, a lot Stay of times of the newer fintechs
0: are starting out and are still establishing themselves. Whereas usually large brands, you know, like you mentioned Ford, uh, a lot easier to roll out something large like electric pickups, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. Rivian, mm-hmm. that's a smaller company that's electrical, also yeah. is not going to be, you know, as we, executed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: although I did see one a couple of days ago, and it looked they it look looked cool. really nice. Yeah. yeah, they look really cool. Uh, Uh, let me ask, um, about your path to being the leader of controls of consumer lending. Uh, what were some of the big projects or milestones as you reflect back on, um, getting started in the space, um, that brought you to where you are today?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a, uh, difficult question to answer a little Mm -hmm. because, Uh, There's really no specific career path right to get to this type of role. Mm. I just think it's the diversity of experiences I've had. Um, And and I do think you you need to have testing, obviously, risk and control experience and testing experience to be in this function Mm -hmm. uh, because we, again, evaluate controls. Um, But most of the time, it's really not about this, the risk and controls. It's about the process. It's about the customer. It's about the businesses. So when we support, for example, the consumer lending businesses, an important part of, I think, my role is to understand what the business is trying to accomplish. And then really, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as we go in and understand the process and understand risks and understand controls, I would like to be a partner. And that's the culture that we've built within my team. Mm -hmm. We want to be partners with the business leaders and Mm -hmm. their teams so that we are, again, using that reactive, proactive analogy, yeah. we don't want to just be reacting to what is there on paper, but we want to be proactive and actually raise our hands and lead from the front mm-hmm.
2: and help our partners, you know, actually capture yeah. the right risks and controls. There's a lot of goodness in there, Ram. What's the What's the contrast of that? What does being a a non-partner or a cost center to the business look like from from your position. Well, that's easy, right? So a
0: lot yeah. of times we, you hear about people saying, "Oh man, I have another testing function coming in, like audit, mm-hmm. for example, or or you know, independent testing, or even you know, like a testing function like ours." And sometimes those, if you're not you know aligned with what I'm saying about creating a proactive culture. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the experience to the customer, whether it's a business leader or a department leader, can feel like you're just coming in to do your work and issue a report. So you end up with findings, uh, but it doesn't feel like you really cared and were interested in helping them. They're not in the context of that team's goals or strategies. That's right. They're just
2: executing, sterile findings.
0: That's right. You're executing you know, a plan, but you're not necessarily integrated with the business and what Mm -hmm. their objectives are.
2: I bet that's where the majority of controls, controllers might find themselves unless they've adopted this operational excellence, proactive posture. Um, Let's think, let's talk through a metaphor if I may. Yeah. Um, Sculpting, sculpture. Let's talk about wooden sculptures. You've got a tree trunk, it's six feet tall and you want to turn it into a nice, beautiful grizzly bear to put in your mountain home front entrance. Sure. All right? Um, And you're starting from just a raw piece of wood, right? That's where the state of risks and controls is today for a large bank. Uh, The first thing you do is plan your cuts. Next, you might – and I've never sculpted before, but next you might execute these – big chunks, you know, carve the shoulders out, you know, these big chunks, carve the arms out. You're not doing much in detail at all, but it's the big broad brush strokes. Sure. So you've got, you know, w- w- what resembles not a bear. This does not resemble yeah. a bear yet, but you're, yeah. f- you're starting, you're starting yeah. yeah. plan or step three is you get maybe a smaller hatchet and you start to get a little bit more granular. Step four is y- you get even more and more granular until the, the, the sandpaper comes out and then the, the, the lacquer comes out and now it's shiny. You've got a, a beautiful, coated, treated bear, uh, maybe in six or seven steps. Uh, what does that process look like for someone coming into lead controls for consumer lending? Um, and it, you've got this blank canvas, if you will.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I've never thought about that analogy, but I'll
2: try to. <laughs> sure. I'll try to. I guess uh, relate and tie to it. And right? the last kind of piece is this: yeah. this bear is that disruptive, innovative business model. Okay, got it. So now that, that that's going to be a stretch, but I'll I'll tell sure. you the
0: too. <laughs> I'll tell you kind of how I'm, I'm, I'm tied to control testing. Mm-hmm. So um, at the highest level, when we go into any business area or process, the first thing we're trying to do is understand what is the objective and scope, right? Of that process. Set the North star. Yeah, what is a North star? Mm -hmm. That business objective then drives our control objectives, right? Mm -hmm. So we're usually then saying, okay, so what are all the things that can go wrong in trying to achieve that business objective? And then what are all the things that we should possibly be looking for to see if management has routines to actually monitor against those risks. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's just use an example again of uh, perhaps, you know, a vendor that is uh, answering calls on behalf of your company. Sure. Right. So that's a simple example. A lot of companies outsource their call centers Mm -hmm. to to a vendor. Uh, There are lots of things that can go wrong, right? Like for example, you may be getting calls that you, the company isn't even aware of. You might be getting complaints that somehow don't route to you because maybe the vendor doesn't want those complaints you know the visibility of those complaints to come to you mm-hmm. um, maybe you, it's about them yeah maybe it's about them right you could also have situations where uh, maybe there are things that happen with the technology that those experiences are you know three steps away from you so you're not able to really on a daily basis understand some of those hiccups, for example, mm-hmm. maybe the IVR doesn't route calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm sure all, all of us have been in situations where we're in this really lengthy IVR and yeah, it says press eight and go here and, and then it hangs up on you. And you're like, yep. what happened? Yeah. Right. And how many times they are, customers- do that
2: on <laughs>
0: <laughs> how many times are folks going to call? Right. Mm-hmm. So I just think the, the first thing when you're creating a test is really to understand what are all the things that can go wrong in this objective. So if the objective here is to provide good customer service through this third-party vendor, when you're going into evaluate risk and controls, you're really looking to see what are all the things that can go wrong and then how should management be monitoring that process so that we're proactive in detecting issues so that we can fix the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so using the analogy of the bear, I, I would say that's kind of the, brushstrokes the wide brushstrokes right you're thinking of reputation risk you're thinking mm-hmm. of uh, customer impact you're mm-hmm. thinking of you know um what are downstream and upstream impacts like for example what if it's a loan application that's being taken by customer service now all of a sudden you have impacts to your loan volume mm-hmm. right but on the other hand if this is just a service center uh you could potentially have unresolved complaints or unresolved issues or maybe even early indicators of an issue that you're receiving through this feedback as a gift but mm-hmm. you may not be you know taking it distilling it mm-hmm. and then understanding that hey there is something here that's an emerging risk
2: yeah. that we should look into so would developing a system or a comfort level or a requirement or an automation to get that feedback from that call center agent Uh, one way or another, be part of a control that's put in place. Once you've identified your North star to improve customer service, you've done your investigation, your process mapping to identify a risk is potentially in the call center, your control would be to either force or automate that feedback to understand the potentiality or the, the reality of a risk happening when it happens. How would um, how would you go about, you know, putting that yeah. control in place? So, so, so it's, I
0: would say it's probably a combination of multiple controls, right? Because you have, again, lots of handoffs. So using that same example, you could have a monitoring control that uses automation, for example, text-to-speech or speech-to-text. Yep. Sentiment analysis. Yeah, sentiment analysis. You could have all of that. But then you also have system technology controls. You know, perhaps they're documenting their notes in some you know, ret- local system that yep. the vendor is using. Yep. How do you then translate that into whatever application that the company is using, uh-huh. uh, et cetera? And then, how do you also um, distill those insights, the meaningful data that the process owner can then use to actually improve their process?
2: Hmm. So okay. it's due to a, lot it's of a combination
0: of controls. Yeah.
2: Sure. Okay. Um, I think we've got the bear, what resembles a bear. And we're thinking about grabbing the sandpaper, maybe the lacquer is coming That's up right. because <laughs> we've got the goal, the strategy, yep. improve customer service. We've done the process mapping to understand potential risks. We've put a control in place. We've got uh, sentiment analysis uh, picking up on when angry customers happen. We've got transcriptions from speech to text uh, with some AI Giving whoever owns customer service or that control, um, a report of, you know, some, some, some negative feedback if, and as it comes in, uh, that is pretty close to a dis, that's pretty close to a, a handled control for a risk. That's right. Uh, it, it's as if we're almost proactive, maybe the, the lacquer. Um, before we've disrupted that business model would be to turn a bad situation into a good situation. And that's where you partner with the business to come up with creative ideas on how to turn, you know, what would be just a a boring audit into an opportunity to improve your, grow your relationship with your customer.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll give you an example that brings um, close to, I think, where you're going with this. Uh, Many years ago, I ran operations uh, in a prior role in a different company. And we had a center, uh, basically a call center that would take calls uh, for folks calling in with hardships, right? Like they would call in and basically request some sort of, um, delayed payment, mm-hmm. uh, or in some cases, you know, we would put them on programs and they would be on a payment plan. Mm-hmm. But then many times you'd have these uh, customers asking for additional help uh in some cases they would just tell us that hey this is all I can really afford um and and sometimes they were willing to even settle for a smaller balance but what we at that time didn't have was a proactive process for empowering the agents to actually settle on the spot so what I found when I did some analysis is we had this um I almost call it kicking the can down the line right we would put folks on plans and try to help them to get back to a normal payment situation but there was a segment of customers that really struggled and most often the outcomes for the customer and for the company were not that positive right like you would end up putting them in plans for so many years and then they would basically become delinquent you charge off the account and then now you're actually sending it to some sort of agency and and it's just a really long process Mm -hmm. for the customer as well as for the company so from a financial standpoint uh we were losing money as a as a company and from a customer standpoint they were just going through this arduous process of carrying this debt through several years of um you know back and forth with the bank and then uh ultimately with the collection agency Mm -hmm. so we came up with a new process where we said why don't we just you know At certain thresholds and we created kind of a box Mm -hmm. so that folks were being consistent we said why don't we just offer a settlement up front right rather than go through this elongated process with a really long tail this way you're giving the customer some options you're getting your money up front so your npv is higher and the customer is off the hook from all of these negative experiences and back and forth yeah that's a win-win it was a win-win win 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 -win. we piloted it it was a it was it was very well received uh now clearly it's it's not the ideal option we want our customers to do well right but but again this is a little step in also helping them get relief but yeah. at the same time you as a company are not you know having this really long tail of going back and forth with sure. customers
2: i would say that solution is a beautiful carved out there That's right. <laughs> on your on the front stoop of your mountain home. And you could not have developed that if you didn't have a strategy to improve your customer experience. That's you right. You understood the process. You clearly saw into the future through process modeling or maybe historical data or both that this is what happens. It's this long, painful tale for both parties that Absolutely. doesn't result in very much uh, value on either side of the equation. Uh, you got creative and put together these, these, these upfront offers that. It took a lot of convincing. I'll say that
0: sure. to get approvals and everything, but yeah. it, it was the right thing to do. We found that we had over 30 customer contacts, you know, and there were letters and emails and, you know, calls back and forth. And no one was really thinking about that operational cost mm-hmm. in the overall collection of that that yeah. you
2: know, so. It's there
0: though.
2: Yeah. That's great. That's a great solution. Um, I think we're coming up on time. I don't want you to be late for your Absolutely. Absolutely. It was great talking to you. Likewise. Yeah. Thanks again, Rob. Thanks again. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of bots and thoughts, the hyper automation podcast sponsored by salient process. Be sure to never miss an episode by hitting that subscribe button, wherever you're listening to this. Get your hands on more content like this by following us on LinkedIn and YouTube down in the show notes and say hello. We'd love to hear your thoughts, perhaps even on an upcoming episode. Stay tuned for more episodes of Bots and Thoughts, the hyper automation podcast brought to you by Salient Process.